0: If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me to the book of Hebrews, it's in the back. It's an incredible letter. Uh, we don't know who wrote it, um, but whoever wrote it, what they were trying to do was to say that Jesus is better than anything. And it's a great way it does it. just basically goes through and it compares Jesus to angels and Moses and priests, the high priest. And, and it keeps on saying, well, Jesus, there's nothing like him. He is the one and only God's Son. When he speaks, he drops the mic. And when he has a sacrifice, no more sacrifices are needed. I mean, Jesus is the one that everything else points to. So we're going to be back into this letter in the back of the book. We're going to look at uh, uh, chapter 10, uh, some verses in that this morning. And this is going to be the second part of a sermon series uh, entitled Loving the Hell Out of Our Community. You know, in times like this, how do we love our community in God's name in a way that drives out evil, in a way that that really brings uh, God's hope? Because are we not, at least in my lifetime, living in unprecedented times? I mean, some of you have gone through some some strife and civil strife in the 60s. I was just getting going uh, back then. And, And some of you have experienced life a little bit different than I have. But I'm telling you, I haven't seen times like these. These are unprecedented times for our country, uh, unprecedented times for our world. We are we're a people that are deeply hurting. Uh, people are angry. People are, are confused, and people are needy. Uh, people are trying to mend from a pandemic, or mourn a loss from that pandemic, or or mourn the economic loss of that reality. This is the times we live in, and it seems like everybody's longing for change. Everybody's longing for hope or longing for, for some change. And wouldn't it be great? I mean, wouldn't it be fantastic if there was one event that could truly change everything? I mean, wouldn't it be great if there's was one thing that we could just have that, that, that changes all? And not just for certain sides of the aisles politically, but changes, uh, all for good. Or, Maybe not just maybe an event, but maybe one person. What do you think? There's this one person who could truly turn things around 180 degrees, or maybe the one thing that could truly mend, truly heal, and truly bring hope. I don't know, but it seems like we need something like out of a Hollywood script, or even better, we need something of like biblical proportions, right? We need. I mean, right now we need something of biblical proportions, and you know, I, I love. There's a guy named Einstein, a pretty bright guy, uh, and he had a definition uh, of what insanity is, and he says this. He said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Right? So insanity is doing the same thing and you're hoping they're going to have something different come out of it. And and maybe that's telling us that, that we can't have this one seismic change if we just elect a new leader or we can't just legislate a new law. We can't just organize a new rally. Those are maybe important and those might have impact, but can that really bring some lasting change of everything that's broken? Of everything that's broken? Well... You probably know where I'm going. Do you know where I'm going? There is one event that did change everything. There is. There's one event that truly changed the world. And here's the good news. It's still changing the world. There's one event, and guess what the good news is? It is of biblical proportions. And the event is this. We sang about it. The event that changed everything is the cross of Jesus Christ. It literally changed the world forever. This is the one event that had an immediate, eternal impact on humanity and still has an ongoing, transforming effect on humanity. It's true. It's an event. It's the the one event that God Himself used to love the hell out of the world. It's the one event that God used to love the hell out of the world, out of our lives, out of our communities. That's what God did. And if we are going to, in response, be the church... And we're going to love Him, and we're going to love our community, striving to love the darkness, the despair, the brokenness out of our lives, out of our community lives, to love the hell out of our community. It's going to bring, that truly brings true and lasting change. We need to start at the starting point. We need to start right where God started to change all things, and that is the cross of Christ. We need to know, and some of you may know, hey, a lot about this, but I guarantee you God's Word it's amazingly rich and wonderful but what we got to know is this we need to know what jesus really did on the cross what was that all about that we're still singing this morning about that old rugged cross we need to know what the cross of christ watch this did for jesus i'm going to tell you this is what it did for jesus the son of god i'm going to show you through scripture that this is what the cross of christ did for you and for me if you're the children of god it's incredible it's incredible and we need to know, uh, more than that, what it did for humanity. And we need to know what is significant today about the cross of Christ. What is significant today about this tumultuous time that we live in? How do we, how do we set the cross there? What light does it shine on? Or what shadow does it cast over, uh, over what's happening in our world today? We need to know how the cross of Christ helps us to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to examine Hebrews 10, one of my favorite texts. I probably say that every week. Um, to see the one event that did change everything, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And here's, we're going to look at two main things, okay? The outline is this. The one event that changed everything, we're going to look at how it changed things for Jesus, the unchangeable one, and how it changed things for us, his children. So the one event that changed everything. And then we're going to look at this, the response to that one event. How are we to respond according to Hebrews Chapter 10. And I'm going to tell you, we respond by faith, hope, and love. That's this incredible triad through Scripture. This, this, the cardinal graces of, you know, how we respond with faith, hope, and love, and how we can do that. So let's hear God's Word. Uh, I'm going to be in Hebrews 10. I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. We're going to read verses uh, 11 through 14. Then we're going to skip to verses 19 through 25. Remember, the whole book of Hebrews is written that says that Jesus is superior to all. Um, And right now we're in in a section in 10 that shows that Jesus is superior to the other high priest. The high priest that would go into the temple once a year to offer a sacrifice of blood for themselves and from God's people. And so they're going to say, how does this one sacrifice of Jesus better than anything that has ever been done. So that's where we pick up the story. Again, hearing God's holy, inerrant word, Hebrews 10, starting in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Think about Einstein's quote. There they are, trying over and over again. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected or he has made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified or for those who are being made holy. And let's skip to verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and here's going to be the let us. This is going to be what we have, how we respond. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word that reminds us of who your son is, and that he has, there is no rival there is no one like him. That he and he alone is our hope for life and peace. He and he alone is our hope for salvation. He and he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way that the Father except through him. That he is the one that is ruling and reigning. And, and on that cross, through that once for all time sacrifice, he and he alone has changed the world. And God, help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to see that reality. May every life that is watching, that is, that is seeing this unfold in Your Word, God, may we see the ramifications for this. God, would You use that event that changed everything in the darkness of today, and would You use it through Your people. Oh God, would You give us ears to hear Your voice this morning, would you give us minds to understand this—the depth and beauty of Your Word this morning? Would you give us hearts that would embrace through faith and hope Your reality and Your love and this message this morning? And God, would You give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy, that we would be living our lives spurring one and on to love and good deeds because of the reality of what Christ has done. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to, to make us and shape us to be more like your Son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. So this incredible passage, the first thing we want to know is this is the one event that God has orchestrated Himself, that has truly changed everything. And we're going to see how it changed everything for Jesus. It's we're, going to be, we're going to see that He sat down at the right hand of God. We're going to look at his, his posture. What does it mean He's sitting? We're going to look at His position of where He is sitting. We're also going to see that Jesus Himself right now is waiting. That He is waiting. He's waiting until a time where His enemies should be made His footstool. Um, and so what does that look for us We're also going to see how this one event has changed everything for us. How we have been made perfect. Oh, you're going to want to hear this. And how that God is still making us holy. It's incredible. Let's start with Jesus. For Jesus, we see his posture. The posture that says that he is seated at the right hand of, of, of God the Father. So what is being done there? If you remember the cross, it was on the cross of Christ that Jesus would cry out these words. He would say, It is finished! What was He talking about? What was finished? Why was He crying out on that cross that reality is finished? Well, here's what He was saying. It is finished. That God's wrath that is naturally, rightfully comes from our brokenness and sin, it's been fully absorbed. God is no longer angry over that because why? He's poured it out on His Son. It's finished. No more wrath for broken sinners that we have to experience because God's son experienced. It is finished. What does that mean? God's law has been perfectly fulfilled. That this is the spotless lamb of God. That he lived his life perfectly, obediently, and that all that God required of us in the law of God has been fulfilled for us by the Son of God. And when he yelled it's finished, he's basically saying this, you don't have to try to work your way home anymore. You know, the reality is you can't do it. There's one who's done it for you. He's saying it's finished. Listen, you don't have to worry about paying a debt you can't pay unless it costs you your life. Because he's paid it for you. It is finished. And he is seated. Why? I love what it says in verse 12. He is sitting because for all time a single sacrifice for sin is offered. And you watch this. It worked. What was happening in the temple? Every day the priests were offering sacrifices. It was a bloodbath. Every day they were trying to take a lamb or something to atone for sin, and it didn't work. Do you know the priests never sat down? You know why they didn't sit down? Because it never was accomplished. Their job wasn't over. And it wasn't even supposed to take away sin. It only points to the true one that would take away the sins. Unlike those priests who never sat down because it didn't work, Here you see Jesus. It's a beautiful picture, the posture. He's seated. Why? Here's what you got to hear. Because Jesus' sacrifice for sins, listen, it was enough. Jesus' God, the Father's wrath for sin, fully appeased. Our sin, you know what this means? Our sins are fully atoned for. They're separated as far as the east is from the west. It's incredible. Salvation is fully secured. Now listen, we have an enemy that wants to whisper in your ear and say, you're a knucklehead, and you are. He wants to tell you that you're not worthy, and you're not. And he's want to accuse you. This is what Satan does. He's, he's, he's such a jerk. He first tempts you, then he accuses you. And he wants to say that, listen, you, you're not worthy of God's love. And you've got to say, no, anyway, Jesus is sitting on the, he's sitting right where on the throne. His sacrifice was enough. That posture tells us we're loved and forgiven. The position, he sat down at the right hand of God. So, where, so the posture, sitting, position, right hand of God. What does that mean? Jesus is at the right hand of God? Well, this is the position of authority. This is the position of honor. This is a position of power. So, it tells us where Jesus is. It says, this is the one, because of his life, death, and resurrection, he's the one and the one alone has all authority, all power, all honor belong to him. If you could think of the Gospel of Matthew, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says something that's kind of interesting. He is God's Son. He goes, listen, disciples, church, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And you want to say, didn't he always have all authority in heaven and earth? Well, kind of. But once he conquered death, once he's resurrected from the grave, all authority, all power belonged to Jesus. And so where is he? He's sitting at the place of authority. He's sitting at the place of power. And what is he doing? He's reigning and ruling. He's sitting at the place of worship. That's where he is. Okay? But it also says this, that he's waiting. There's a time that the sacrifice was complete and you sit, but he's waiting until his enemy should be made his footstool for his feet. Now, here's what we've got to understand. The outcome has been determined. The final victory is, 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 is we know it's going to happen, but has it fully been realized? God's plan of redemption is still unfolding. Chad, maybe your great-great-great-grandson's got to come to Christ. He's going to wait until that reality. He's going to wait patiently for our, all the sheep to come home. You know, what, you know, you know how many sheep he's going to miss? Not a one. Isn't that beautiful? That all the sheep are going to come? So, you know what God's doing? He's patient. In the midst of this broken world, He's waiting for the sheep. He's waiting for the sheep to come home. He, he's, He's, He's waiting for His full, His plan to be fully realized. He's got a plan. I promise it. Sometimes you're like, okay, God, what are you doing? I'm not sure. This is, are you like operating out of the seat of your pants here? I mean, what's going on here? Do you, do you have your hand on this whole thing? He does. He's gracious, He's merciful, and He's waiting patiently. But don't think that the outcome hasn't been determined. It has. But his story is still unfolding. Listen, his story is still unfolding in your life. It's still unfolding in my life. But he's not inactive as he waits. He's not up there with his feet up. Just, he's, he's active. He lives to intercede for us, Scripture says. You know what that means? Jesus right now is living to pray for you. He's living to pray for this world. Do You think those prayers are heard? That is what he is doing. He's ruling and reigning for his glory. What is he doing? He's bringing God's plan to fruition. And look at God's plan through the histories. I mean, it included wars, included some, some nasty stuff, and some things we want to say, God, really, you're good and fully in control. He is. But we can't forget, we can't forget his posture. He's seated because it's enough. In his position, he's got all authority. He's right by the fa- Father. And then we have for his children. What did that one sacrifice do for his children? Listen, lean into this. Because this is unbelievable good gospel stuff. You can't miss this. What has he done for his children? He has, uh, we have been made perfect. I love the Greek here. It's in the perfect tense. Which wants to say that through this sacrifice, there's something that has been done that is fully completed. It's in the perfect tense that has ongoing results and complications, but it's done. He has made perfect. And it also says he is making us holy. I love the parallel. I love the juxtaposition. It almost seems like it's a paradox. How can God make us perfect and still make us holy? That's scripture. It's beautiful. We have been made perfect. This is what the word justification means. Justified that he has made perfect those who are his. We are declared not guilty in God's sight by God himself, right? God himself says, "You, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've embraced him by God's grace through faith, because of that cross of Christ, you have a justification. You have been declared by God himself not guilty. And not only that, you have been robed in his righteousness. Not just the righteousness of man, but this is the righteousness of Christ. And you know what this is saying? There's no more sacrifice needed for your sin, not even from yourself. We don't have to bring a goat or a lamb into worship and try to kill it and say, God, accept this for my sins. We don't have to try to live a life that's earning His salvation. Why? Because we've been perfected. Think about that. No more sacrifice for sin is needed. No more righteousness in your life is required. Wait a minute. I don't have to get a little bit better to get in? No. No. I don't have to get a little holier to be more loved. No. You have been perfected in Christ Jesus. No more righteousness is required. Positionally, we're secure. And we're secure eternally forever. Let me tell you what this means. You're forgiven and you're free in Christ Jesus. It means you are adopted and beloved. As we wait to see how Megan's... uh, uh, The fostering unfolds, and I hope it all takes, and I hope that she feels at home. Here's what God says. You are at home. You are mine. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are free. You are adopted into my family. You are beloved. You should want to dance right now. I mean, I'm serious. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you should want to get up and say, are you kidding me? This this is the gospel? This is what the cross of Christ is? He has perfected forever us? Yeah. Yeah, I'm telling you, I I hope you're doing a little dancing inside and just saying, oh, my goodness, because this is incredibly good news. And those of you at home, we can't see you. You should be dancing like crazy. We are being, but he says, not only have we been perfected, but there's a beautiful thing, we are being made holy. I love the juxtaposition. That is sanctification. As we talked about justification, sanctification is what God does to make us more like his son Jesus. We are being sanctified. We are being made holy. Holy means without sin or set apart. Guess what? We're still a work in progress. Think of the picture. In Christ Jesus, boom, perfected. In Christ Jesus, still being worked on. We are all a work in progress. We should wear shirts. Be patient with me. God's not done with me yet. There's a sense on the other side that says, but I'm perfect. And they want to say, who are you? I'm in Christ Jesus. I mean, that is what we are. Again, the outcome is determined, but the finishing touches haven't been fully applied. So he's still making us like Jesus. He cares about the way we act. He wants us to be holy because he is holy. Remember, it doesn't add to our salvation. It doesn't add to our position. But now we do these things. Watch this. was a response to love. Say, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Now, we as Christians, we need to work on being holy. It's our job to work on it. Get better, will you? <laughs> and it's God's work to make us holy as well. It's got this, this incredible um, concertive effort from both parties. i want to take you to a, an amazing passage that Paul writes in Philippians 2. 2 verses 12 and 13. He says this. He says, he, he gives us this glorious truth that we are secure in Christ. And he goes out and says, Hey, I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. With a little bit, make sure. Am I a believer? Am I showing the fruits of the Spirit? I mean, do I have a heart for God? Am I living for Him? Am I telling other people about Him? Hey, work that out. And I'm telling you, if there's no desire for God in your life, if there's no fruit in your life, that, that's a bad sign. So he says, you know, you, 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 t- take up a mirror. Look, look in your life. Now you're still a mess. You're still gonna be broken, but is there a longing for that? But then he says in verse 13. For it is God who works in you. Look at this: you work, but God works. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's awesome. He's saying, yeah, it's up to you. Yeah, it's up to God. But that's where we are. And then let me tell you, there's a chain here that will never be broken. In verse in Romans 8:29 and 30. By the way, Romans 8:28. Does everybody know Romans 8:28? For all things work together for the good, for those who love God and called according to his purpose. And watch verse 29. And for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's basically saying that God all along had a plan for us to come to him. And then he says this in verse 30, And for those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. We talked about justification, being declared not guilty. And watch this. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that word is in the past tense. It's already done. We haven't experienced it yet. But he's basically saying there is a day coming, if you have been justified with Christ, that you will be not only freed from the penalty and the power of sin, you're going to be freed from the presence of sin. glorified. Not even able to sin. Oh, hasten the day, Lord Jesus. So can you lose your salvation? Heaven's no. Because God, the one that he called, is the one he justified. The one that he justifies, she's the one that's going to be glorified. And my hope isn't in you. My hope is in him. And this golden chain of salvation is not one link is broken. It's amazing. So live in light of this reality. Here, my brothers and system, sisters, is freedom and joy. So what is our response to one, to one event? I mean, this, this is awesome. I mean, you know, the writer of Hebrews is saying, now, let me show you what's happening here to Jesus. He's seated next to the Father. He's, You know, it's incredible. Here's what happened to you. You're perfected. You're getting better. And then he goes to say, we get to the salad part of this. The lettuce. 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 It was a bad joke, wasn't it? Did anybody get that? It was bad. But let us, the response to this one event, he says, therefore. It's like a thunderous therefore. It's like a This is true. This is how you should act. Therefore, and you see this grace triad of faith, hope, and love. He says this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So he's basically saying, come near to God with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Let us draw near with faith. Faith that Jesus was enough. Faith that God is for us and loves us. Come near Him with faith. Draw near to God. The access to God has been opened up for you. The door is open. Use it. Satan doesn't want you to think that you can get access to God anytime you want. He wants you to think that you somehow disqualified yourself. You're not worthy. Or there's something that's impeding you to come. Draw near to God through faith of what Christ has done. The door is open. The refrigerator of the Father has goodies in it that He wants you to get. And he's got your picture on the refrigerator. Go. Go get him. Draw near to God. Spend time with him. Open up his word. Sing. Pray. Spend time with him. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, here's the amazing good news. He's not angry with you in Christ. He pour out his wrath. He's going to discipline you. He's going to treat you like a child. And he's going to love you. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. that The curtain's been torn down. Let me give you a couple passages that remind us of this beautiful thing. Because again, it is this washing, this perfecting. Uh, listen, to this. Paul writes in Titus 3, 5-7, through 7, that He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, wow, salvations of the Lord, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Wow. He's the one who did all this. He saved us, regenerated us, washed us, and cleansed us. And and I know I say this all the time. One of my favorites is Ezekiel 36, this, this incredibly strange prophet that's so beautiful that points to the hope of Christ's coming. In Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, remember, this is hundreds of years before Jesus came. This is a promise And I want you to hear how much God talks personally how he will bring our salvation. And he says these words, I will sprinkle clean water on you, the blood of Christ, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart like Jeremiah would promise and a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Wow. What a salvation. What God says He will do. Let's draw near with faith. Let us hold fast, secondly, to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Hope. Have hope. We hold on to the the fast of the confession of hope. What is the confession of hope that the church has had? I'm going to give it to you very easily and simply. The church has said this forever. That Christ died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. If you want to know no other confession, know that. Christ died for your sins. Christ is risen. Death has been defeated. And Christ is coming back. He's fixing this mess. It's going to get better. That's the confession we hang on to. No matter where you are in life, no matter what happens, that is a living hope. Christ died for your sins. Christ has risen and defeated all the powers of darkness. And He's coming again. We have hope. Hope in Christ. That our stories are going to end marvelously well. I don't know how they're going to look here on this earth. We're going to weep together. We're going to have have trials together. There's going to be brokenness. There's going to be things we can't figure out, but they're going to all end when we see him face to face. And I love it says, wide hope. Hope because he who promised is faithful. It doesn't say hope because you're a faithful bunch of people. Hope because you have a lot of zeal. Hope because you really want this to make it happen. He said, no, no, no. Hope, why? Because he who promised... He is the one who is faithful. Hope not in us. Hope in Him. God who is promised. God who is faithful. We are not. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That is our hope. And here it is. Why? Because Jesus... Because the one who promised is faithful. Watch this. Jesus is the one who makes the promises of God. We see in the covenant of God. And He's the one. Watch this. This is amazing. Jesus is the one who keeps the promises of God. Wait a minute. He's the one who promised all of God's blessing if we obey. And he's the one that absorbed all of God's wrath when we disobey. And he's the one and the one alone who's fulfilled all the promises of God. Yes. So how should your hope be the one who is faithful? Man. He is faithful. May our hope reign in Him, our promise maker and our promise keeper. Do you know the beautiful reality of Scripture is that all that God requires of us, God provides for us. Do you believe it? It's true. He is faithful. Our hope is secure. And lastly, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, Especially some of you online. Just kidding. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Love. Faith, hope, and love. He said, let us stir one another up to love. Not to hate. Not to division. But to love. Love for God. He's worthy. Love for ourselves. Let me tell you. Love for our neighbors. Ourselves, true. But love for our neighbors. And I'm going to tell you, they're worthy too. You're going to say, well, wait a minute. You don't know my neighbor. I don't. They may be a jerk, but they're an image bearer. They reflect God. He's called us to love them. Some aren't very lovable. Some of you aren't very lovable. Some of you don't even know it. (laughs) But it all begins with how madly God is in love with you. And respond to that reality. Let us love. Love God. Love our neighbor. And we need to meet together to stir one enough. We need to, we got to be together. It's important. Why? Because God created us like himself in community. Wait a minute. God's in community? Yes. Always has been. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need to live in community. We need to be together. God has made us for that. And listen, the world wants to separate us. Pandemics want to separate us. And there's, Good reason sometimes to keep distance from one another. but listen, we've got to be together as a church, to love and good deeds. My sister Allison and her husband Tom, they live in the Bronx, and, and they just their church just gathered together and they were going to do a march in New York. And it was interesting because the churches came together. they said, "Now here's our messages. Here's our message. And here's our chant. It was very Christocentric, very Christ-centered message. And they said, "If you hear another chant, it didn't come from us." So guess what? They start marching, and other people join. And pretty soon, chants start coming that aren't the chants of the church. And you think, whoa, wait, 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 who's chanting that? You know? And so we we got to make sure that we stay together, because in the midst of the church, there's some chants that are going on around the world right now that aren't very Christian-like. And there's some chants that people want us to join in uh, that aren't very God-honoring. But we've got to make sure that we, we are together encouraging one another to love and good deeds, that we're chanting the right message, that we're chanting it together, that we stay st- focused and strong. And we've got to have an urgency of this as the day is drawing near. There's, listen, as the, the time is coming. I don't know when. Quite frankly, I think God is so patient and loving. I mentioned earlier, maybe Chad's great-great-great-grandson is going to come to Christ. And I think he's going to wait till then. I don't know when he's coming back, but I know the end is drawing near. I don't know how much. But here's what I do know for sure. There's urgency for each one of us to do our part. There's urgency. God has created you for himself. He's redeemed you the blood of Christ. You're an ambassador of God right now. You're the church right now. It's your job, my job right now to shine for Christ. Right now, the church, we are entering into this darkness for his glory. Right now is our time to shine. We've got to do it. We are the church. This is our battle. This is our responsibility. We as the church have to respond in faith, hope, and love according to God's word, standing on God's promises. And how do we do it? Well, we lift high the cross. We go back to that one event that changed everything in our life and in the world. Live your life in light of the gospel. Oh my goodness, live it liberated and free. Know that in Christ you are been perfected and you're getting better. Live your life loving God passionately and loving your neighbor as yourself. Serve your neighbor. Invite him to church. Let's grow this thing. Come on, here we go. What an incredible blessing God has given to us to shine and shine for him. Because of one sacrifice, God has made at all times. He's made us perfect. Those he's making holy. So let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thanks for this Word. It's incredible. It's convicting. It's comforting. It's empowering. It's, it's just, it's Your Word. And we thank You for the reality of our position in Christ, that we've been perfected, and yet how we are still being made more Christ-like. And God, we thank You for the reality that Christ is is seated down because the sacrifice was enough and he's he's done it it's done enough it's accomplished and he's by your right hand father because he's got all power and authority oh god let his kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and oh holy spirit stir us up to love and good deeds because we are your church and may we lock arms and may we stand for you in the darkness now. May we not look for someone else to do it. May we not hope for a political change or a legislative change or a social economic change. May we long for a Christ change through the gospel of your people and your church being truly the light of the world for your glory. Uh, Satan, we hate that you want us to be dim. We hate the fact that you want us to live in fear. We hate the fact that you don't want your church to shine. We hate the fact that you want to put the eyes of the world on anything other than Jesus. But he is our hope. Yesterday, today, and forever. And may we live for him. Amen.